So a deal is done. UBS to buy Credit Suisse for a fraction of the value that they closed at on Friday. And to make sure those pesky shareholders don't get upset, they've changed the rules so it can go through without them saying anything. Is that going to calm the markets today? Well, we'll find out. I guess it's better than a banking collapse. Uh, With all that going on, what does it mean for the Bank of England and the Fed meeting this week? Or come to think of it, the Swiss National Bank. I mean, they were expecting to lift their interest rates 50 basis points this week. Will they stick with that? It's going to be an interesting week. It's Monday, the 20th of March. 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Okay, well, let me start by telling you where things were at the end of the day on Friday before we look at what's happened so far this morning, because it is a fast-moving picture, that's for sure. Bond yields fell quite a bit on Friday, down 31 basis points for two-year treasuries. That's almost 75 basis points down in a week. Ten years were down 27 basis points over the week and continued that fall on Friday. Falls in yields across Europe, too, down 18 points for 10-year bonds, uh, for example, and Aussie 10 years on Friday. Uh, finished actually up six basis points at 3.39%, but those Gains were wiped out on futures since then, uh, but not falling too much. Another day uh, for equity, another bad day, I should say, for equities on Friday with the DAX down 1.3%, the Dow losing 1.2%, a tiny bit less for the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ down three quarters of 1%. Um, That's made the S&P 500 somehow managed to still make a 1.4% gain last week, and the Nasdaq, well, that was up 4.4% over the week, even with Friday's losses. The big winner on Friday, though, was the Hang Seng, up 1.6% on the day, 1% over the week. Uh, But a tragic week for oil, WTI down almost 13%, Brent down almost 12%, including a 2.3% drop on Friday, taking it well below 67 a barrel now, and gold rose 5.7% over the week last week. Uh, Not surprising, really, is it, given all the uncertainty, of which there could be a lot more today because we are kicking off the the week with new news uh, let's talk about it with nabs ray atrial uh, so the reports are and i think these have been confirmed now aren't they that ubs has agreed to buy credit swiss for two billion that is double the one billion that they were offering earlier in the weekend but you know bear that in relation to where they closed on friday i mean the company was worth about 10 billion so bit of a deal uh but, I mean, there are a few caveats. So is this going to calm the waters at all, do you think? Morning, Phil. Well, the very immediate market reaction um, is showing up in the dollar-yen exchange rate. So FX is uh, pretty much the first market to open. And we've seen the dollar-yen exchange rate up about half a percent. Now, the yen was the strongest G10 currency in the world last week, uh, driven lower by the combination of, of risk aversion centered on the banking sector and obviously that precipitous fall in U.S. Treasury yields. Um, so the fact that uh, the dollar yen uh, exchange rate has popped up half a percent says that the initial reaction, at least, is is actually a positive one. And I think the view mm. will be that uh, despite the obvious anger that seems to be being expressed by uh, Credit Suisse shareholders, um, who effectively are getting what a, about an eighty percent haircut on where the the share price closed on Friday? Um, you know, you'd have to think that this at least and a cauterize is one source of uh, of contagion in the global banking sector. So, from that point of view, mm. um, it, it, it initially at least being interpreted in a sort of risk positive way. Incidentally, there are mixed reports this morning as to what the actual sale price is because uh, that two billion figure came from the FT. Bloomberg this morning is saying actually the price is three billion. Either way, it is still a fraction of the price as it was on on Friday. And it's not just, obviously, Credit Suisse shareholders who will be upset about this, but you can imagine uh, that people at UBS are going to be pretty upset about it 
as well, uh, particularly considering, I mean, in theory, they they should have to vote on this. Uh, but, but so the deal's gone through, uh, the Swiss government's changed the laws, basically, to allow it to happen. That's right. It, it seems like uh, no, n- n- neither party is particularly uh, enamoured of uh, of this deal. But um, you know, so very much uh, you know, a shotgun wedding. You'd have to think at least orchestrated by the uh, by the authorities. Um, but the other reports are that that UBS is going to have a what a hundred billion dollar liquidity line as part of the deal. At, um, but as I say, at the moment, this is uh, this is not a deal outside of the the regulators and perhaps the broader market that, uh, that anyone in Switzerland is particularly chuffed about. But there was also the the concern, wasn't there? If, if uh, credit default spreads could go up too much, then they might pull out of the deal. I don't know whether that sort of disappeared over the over the weekend, but I mean, but that's going to be the concern generally. I mean, is that, could that be the area of contagion on this? If we get all of this insecurity, just the cost of of, of, in, of insurance within the banking industry could could rise quite a bit, couldn't it? Well, it could do, and I think that's why the the, the price is probably where it is. So, you know, as of sort of Friday, Saturday morning. Um, UBS was reportedly looking for for some sort of indemnity against losses above a certain amount. They were talking, I think it was six or seven billion dollars, which it doesn't look as though they've got in here. So they've obviously given themselves some protection. But yes, I mean the the, the, the credit default swaps as one sort of measure of, uh, of of credit costs, if you like, for companies is you know obviously feeds into overall financial conditions. So uh, we talked about that at some length, didn't we, last week? You know, how the yeah. travails of the financial sector intersect with the real economy, you know, is via what's happening to um, financial conditions and effectively the rise in credit um, spreads, particularly in the financial sector. Uh, in the last couple of weeks have wiped out all of the easing that we've seen in financial conditions uh, between October and January, when uh, obviously the equity markets were under uh, you know, renewed upward pressure. So as of Friday night, at least, you know, one measure of financial conditions that uh, that I've monitored is pretty much sort of back to where we were last October, but not any tighter. So, um, you know, if obviously if, if, if credit spreads were to blow out further this week, then <clears throat> that would change the picture. But mm. um, so far, so good. Yeah, but it's uh, quite early in the morning, isn't it? I mean, and then, then the question is what happens in the equity market? So currency markets are one thing. I mean, what's the UBS share price going to do <laughs> this morning, for example? Pass. But also, you're talking you know, to a currency like, analyst. Uh, I'll pass on that one. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> I think there's a chance it's going to go down. But, Anyway, certainly whichever way, whichever uh, you know, part of the finance sector you're looking at, uh, there's just scope for immense volatility this week, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. And no more so, I think, than in the bond market. Mm. And some of those uh, swings in the likes of two-year Treasury yields were, were pretty hard to get your, get your head around, I think, uh, last week. And then we had another big fall, what, 33 basis points in two years. And of course, you know, we're heading into the Fed with a, with a high degree of uncertainty. Uh, about exactly what they're going to hand down on uh, on Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, local time. Yeah, and then there's a question about what happens in the states with all the regional banks as well. So, so we saw. I mean, that you know, and we're just talking about volatility in the share market. Thirty billion from other banks to help the First Republic um, didn't help their share price on Friday. It was down thirty three percent at the end of the week. So, you know, uh, there's a question about what happens to that. Uh, what? How is SVB carved carved up? And uh, then the news that Warren Buffett reportedly uh, in talks with the uh, the, the the U.S. administration over the weekend about uh, the Biden administration about uh, you know maybe investing in some of the regional banks that are that are struggling. So I mean, there's, a lot no, going there's on. lots of things going on, and, mm. and you know the other thing you mentioned SVB, but uh, the Bloomberg reports at least Saturday night were that uh, First Citizens Bank Shares Inc. Uh, was evaluating uh, an offer for uh, for SVB um, possibly as 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 early as uh, you know as before. 
um, or Sunday night, effectively. So uh, the day is still young in the US. So um, there may be more news to come in so a couple of hours in that respect. Right. OK, well, watch this space. So if, if we're seeing, I mean, if bond yields continue to head down, but central banks are still talking about pushing rates up. How does that work out? Well, it's, uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of two sides of the same coin. Bond yields are coming down. Obviously, partly there's that sort of flight to safety, but also a major rethink about uh, about central bank uh, reaction functions here. And, uh, you know, you'd have to think that, um, you know, I mean, the markets were about, what, 60% priced for a 25-point uh, rate rise um, on Friday evening at, at least. But if you look at the whole curve we've still got uh, you know pricing of what 100 basis points of cuts um you know with the fed if they do do 25 on on wednesday night seem to be pretty much done so you know obviously if, if the central bank narratives this week um we've also got the bank of england of course really challenges that view and, and the market takes uh, takes the fed at its word and you know it's hard to believe that uh, the rally that we've seen in the likes of the, the two-year treasury yield uh, you know can can be maintained but i mean if they back off I mean, if we go from, you know, the expectation of 50 basis points down to 25 and, and the Bank of England, it's pretty line ball, isn't it, as to what they do. I mean, if they're, if they're backing off, you know, like the ECB pushed on, didn't they? Because there was the concern if they didn't go for 50 last week, there'd be the argument that it would show that, you know, they, they were really concerned about the stability of the banking system. Uh, but if they start to pull a, pull back, then you've still got that same argument that the ECB had and the question mark about, well, hang on a second. Uh, if if you're doing this because you're concerned about banks, does that mean you're not really concerned about inflation anymore? Absolutely, absolutely. And for that very reason, you know, I, I, you know, my sense is that that central banks are going to have to are going to have to push on here. Let's remember that uh, inflation everywhere is, is pretty much north of six percent. If you go back to GFC, when obviously you know financial stability issues, you know, shots to the forefront and then pretty much guided most of the central bank policy response. You know, inflation was two to two and a half percent. That's a world away from where we are today. Um, and for that reason, you know, central banks, you know, simply cannot take their eye, you know, off the uh, off the disinflation prize effectively. And, and for that reason alone, I still think it's you know more likely than not that, that that's going to be the messaging from the Fed. Um, and that it's going to be um, other sort of macro prudential tools that are going to be uh, wheeled in to, to, to deal with the financial stability issues. And how does the Aussie play out this week then? Because uh, you'd think that the Aussie would take, a, you know, perhaps a bit more of a hammering if we see more concerns, more risk. But, um, you know, last week it, it was an interesting week for the Aussie dollars. I mean, it did better than the Swiss franc, uh, you know, uh, towards the end of the week. But um, you know, we're Swiss for the obvious reasons. The, the concept um, of the Swiss franc as safe haven was uh, nowhere to be seen last week. Exactly. Well, so everything is a bit topsy turvy. We were uh, we went out about sixty six ninety something on Friday. I'm looking at a screen now that says it's sixty seven oh eight. Really, the story of, of Aussie dollar was two sort of very competing forces. That if you think that it's been the rise, the relentless rise in U.S. interest rates and Fed policy price, Fed policy pricing. That's been the, the main driver of US dollar strength and Aussie dollar weakness in the last sort of, uh, well, really going back to the middle of 2021, really. Um, you know, the decline that we've seen in US rates has, has effectively weakened the US dollar. And that's the main reason that Aussie is up. Uh, and for, for the time being, at least, that's overwhelmed the, the negative force on the Aussie dollar from the deterioration in risk sentiment. So how those two, two issues play out is obviously going to be uh, is going to be vital. But we are, what, a couple of percent off, off the lows that we saw uh, 
um, you know, just a, a couple of weeks ago now. And uh, mm. if, if the initial response of, of FX is reflected in, in a calmer equity market tone, um, you know, you'd expect the Aussie to push on a little bit against that, though it also probably means a bit of a rebound in, in US interest rates. So those two competing forces might just be working in the opposite direction over the course of this week. All that now, to say, I don't mm. have a clear sight, line of sight of, of where Aussie's going to be at the end of this week. It's going to be an interesting week, isn't it? Whichever way things move, uh, it, it's pretty hard to make a call, isn't it? Uh, w- one thing you might think is a bit surprising would be uh, if someone was to say, well, let's reduce the uh, the reserve requirements for banks. Uh, but I guess in China, they're not too con- too concerned about the contagion from, from the US because that is precisely what the PBOC's done. Why are they doing that? I mean, doesn't I mean it? It does presumably just add to the risk for the banks, but maybe that's less of a concern. There. Uh, well, to be honest, it adds a little bit of profitability to the banks in that sense. Um, mm. I mean, it was sort of yeah. been talked about for some time, and it, it's in zero point two five percentage points. It's the first one they've done for three months. Um, you know, I think the essential message is that, uh, as you say, that uh, you know that the, the Chinese don't see you know contagion as being a particular issue for China. Um, we have seen something of a pickup in in bank lending and broader credit growth in recent months. And I guess the message from this triple R cut is that uh, we want to make sure banks are in the best possible position to maintain uh, the strength of, of, of that lending. So, uh, so yes, so what's happening in, in Europe and the US, uh, nowhere to be seen, at least in China. But uh, so the, the margin, so it'll free up a little bit of liquidity. Uh, it's probably not going to feed through into lower lending rates more broadly, from what I see, at least anyway. But, um, but at the margin, I think it's, uh, say, good for good in the short term, at least for, for banks' profits, and, and probably makes it uh, easier um, for them to maintain a relatively healthy uh, growth of lending, which is obviously key to the, uh, the nascent economic recovery that uh, is evidently underway, as we saw from last week's uh, hard economic news. Yeah, well, let's talk about that news. So the, so the, the very briefly, the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Read on Friday, I mean, that was recent enough, wasn't it, to include, you know, this concern about the bank. So no surprise that we saw that fall from 67 to 63.4. Inflation expectations has fallen too as well, but perhaps not falling enough for the Fed to be too happy about it. But I mean, this has sort of been overtaken by events a little bit, this this news, hasn't it? Well, the, um, interestingly, the, uh, the Consumer Centre was expected to be unchanged. And, and given that the surveys, I think, ran right up until last Wednesday, um, you can pretty oh, much right. uh, nail that fall on the, the travails of, of the banking system. So it's clearly had some yeah. sort of an impact on uh, on consumer confidence. But uh, And it was already at pretty depressed levels. But, um, you know, as we keep saying, you know, watch what consumers do rather than what they say. And while the cash is in the bank, they're continuing to, to, uh, to spend, unless, of course, the bank's uh, doors are shut. Yeah. But, uh, that doesn't seem... Or unless they're rushing to get it out of the bank. Significant risk, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, um, and then also on, consumer, on inflation expectations, yeah, down from 2.8 to 2.9, so some comfort. So we're very much at the lower end of the range that we've seen since 2021, but at, um, you know, closer to 3 than 2%, we were running at around 2.5% pre-pandemic. Uh, we probably just need to see some further falls in headline inflation because that does seem to be the biggest single influence on longer-term inflation expectations. So uh, if they do continue to come down, then uh, maybe we'll see those longer-term ones track lower, which would be more comforting for the Fed. Now, not much on today, is there? Christopher Ken, though, from the RBA, talking first off this morning, he's talking about long and variable lags in monetary policy, apparently. Uh, and, of course, we get the uh, the RBA minutes later on this week as well. And uh, Christine Lagarde also Talking overnight tonight, Australia time, actually twice, actually. And uh, later on in the week, uh, apart from the central banks, I've already mentioned the Fed and the Bank of England. We've uh, we got the global PMIs on Friday, uh, UK inflation and retail sales, U- uh, US durable goods orders, 
But I think first off, it's, you know, what's happening with banks, bond yields, central banks. We're going to be focused on all of those. Certainly, and certainly that Chris Kent uh, speech is very, very timely, isn't it? That uh, He's talking about <laughs> the macro themes, but I think he'll struggle not to uh, to touch on some of the more micro financial system ones as well. And, uh, and the SNB. Yeah, perfect timing for that, um, isn't it? You know, Phil still confidently expecting to raise rates by 50 basis points wow. amid all the turmoil there. So uh, that'll be That's uh, bold. a passing interest too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I wonder if they'll stick with that. Well, we'll see what the day brings. Good to talk, Ray. Thanks, Phil. Feels a bit like someone's thrown all the cards in the air. We're just waiting to see where they land, doesn't it? Uh, that's it for this morning on The Morning Call. Stay with us every day this week, of course. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.